Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our associate care pastor, Joshua Masters, continues in our series on the heroes of faith found in Hebrews 11. If you want to watch the video of this week's message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find all of that and more on our Brookwood app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, Brookwood. I could hear you guys eight rooms away. You guys are excited this morning. I love that. Keep that enthusiasm. Uh, Today we continue our summer series, Believe in God, as we walk through uh, the heroes of faith that are described in Hebrews 11. But before we get to our text today, we wanted to take just a few moments and keep that energy going to encourage one another. This pandemic has been difficult. It's been difficult for everybody and everything about it has been difficult. And it has impacted our ability to build one another up as the body of Christ. And I know, I know that we have people here on site that really want to hug other people. Am I right, Hal? And I know that we have people that are in our online campus that can't be with us for various reasons, but they would love to be here in person with us. But we have to understand and we have to grab a hold of the fact that we are still one church. We are one body. And it is vital that we continue to reach out to one another and encourage one another and support one another. So please, you have to do that. I'm begging you throughout the week, do that. Reach out, be intentional to reaching out to one another. Be intentional in reaching out to people out in the community who aren't part of the church, who don't know God, who are hurting. But today, I'd like for those of us on site to take a few moments to encourage those people who are in our online campus who would love to be here with us but can't be. So when I count to three, everyone here in this room, I want you to look at this camera down on the floor. Josh Taylor is going to pan the camera. And when the camera goes by, just as loud and as encouraging as you can, I want you to hoot and holler and wave at the people watching at home so that we can all feel connected for just a moment. Yes, ready? One, two, three. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I know it may seem a little bit silly, but during times of trials and testing, it is vital that we stay connected. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, because the trials and the hardships of our lives can either propel our faith forward or it can cause us to surrender to spiritual apathy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As we turn our attention back to Hebrews 11, building a deeper faith through trials and hardship is exactly what we see in the life of Abraham. Our faith deepens as we learn to trust God through trials and hardship. 
Our faith deepens as we learn to trust God through trials and hardship. And my prayer is that that is what we have been learning through the trials that we've been going through. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. A sermon about trials and hardships being good for us, I don't want to stay for this message. But you're already here. And I know I get it. That is a difficult subject. But suffering is going to come. So rather than ignore it, we should learn how to grow through it. Our theme verse for today is Romans 8.18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And if we can grab onto that truth, if we can learn to focus on the coming glory, we not only learn how to overcome our struggles, but we can come through them stronger, come out of them greater and stronger than we were when we went into them. Building faith is about the revelation of God's truth in our life. And that often happens when we are struggling because those are the times that we turn to God. Those are the times that we learn to rely on God. So, are you ready? You're ready, good. We will walk through these sometimes difficult truths together and we will encourage one another. So, you can go ahead and turn or swipe in your Bibles back to Hebrews 11 or in the Brookwood app. Uh, if you are in our online campus, you can click the Bible tab in the chat window and you can follow along that way. And as you turn to Hebrews 11, let me say this. It's important for us to remember that as we go through this series, that the book of Hebrews was written to a Jewish audience. And Abraham is not only considered the father of the Jewish faith, but the Jewish teachers, the rabbis taught that Abraham was this sort of pinnacle of righteousness, which wasn't exactly accurate. Because like all the people listed in Hebrews 11, the author is using the Jewish scriptures, because that's what they're familiar with, the Jewish scriptures to prove the importance of faith in the Christian life to a group of believing Jews. He's teaching them that their heroes, their Jewish heroes that they honor, were elevated not because of their righteousness, but because of their faith in God's righteousness. So, let's dig in. You guys are in Hebrews 11. I'm going to jump back to Genesis 12 for just a moment because that is where we are first introduced to Abram, who God later renames Abraham. I'm just going to call him Abraham to make it simple. And we first are introduced to him in Genesis 12. He lives in a land of pagan worship and idolatry. So right off, we know Abraham, being in an idolatrous community, is not innately righteous or good, right? But God intervenes in his life. And this is what we see in Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Now, jump forward to Hebrews 11, verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land 
that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land, God promised him he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Now think about that for a moment. Abraham lives a life of idolatry. But when he has an encounter with the one true living God who asks him to leave everything he knows behind, Abraham immediately obeys. In fact, the language that's used here in the Greek for when God called him, it actually sort of indicates that Abraham started moving even as God was still speaking. As soon as God understood, as soon as Abraham understood what God was calling him to do, he started moving. He started preparations to leave. And it wasn't as if Abraham was looking for a way out of his life. He was living in Mesopotamia, which is the land between the two great rivers, a beautiful, bountiful area, the most bountiful area in the known world. He was in a seemingly perfect place, but God said, go. And Abraham packs up and leaves for a land that he knows nothing about. So how does that apply to my walk? My faith deepens as I learn to trust God by living in the expectation of being uprooted. My faith deepens as I learn to trust God by living in the expectation of being uprooted. We can expect that our life is going to be uprooted. It might be changing locations, but it could be a a physical, emotional, even a a spiritual uprooting as well. Verse 9 said, Abraham was like a foreigner living in tents. Well, even in Abraham's day, people didn't permanently live in tents. No, living in tents was a sign of pilgrimage, a willingness and even an eagerness to pick up and move at a moment's notice, the moment God spoke. The problem is that we have been conditioned to seek stability and security. That's the American dream, right? But it's not biblical. The reliance on God, faith in God, is never found in what we provide ourselves. It can only be found in pursuing God and trusting in his daily provision. See, by our nature, we want things to remain the same. We want things to be stable. But when we accumulate a false sense of security in this world, we deny our need for God. Christ didn't have a stable life. The apostles, none of them had a stable life unless you count John who was a prisoner. And I'll be honest, it is hard for me to grasp a desire to be uprooted. I have a hard time understanding that. And and as I was wrestling with this in my studies, I had one of those God fingerprints moments that we talked about in the Ruth series. Remember that? 
I've been reading C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. And if you're not familiar with the Space Trilogy, it was written before the Chronicles of Narnia. And in fact, it was written very shortly after he became a Christian. And to be honest, it's not as elegant as Narnia. And it's actually a little weird. But I'm on book two of the Space Trilogy series, which is an analogy for creation and the temptation of Eve. And so as I was struggling with this idea with having the desire to be uprooted, and I, and I couldn't wrap my brain around it, so I put my studies down, and I picked up this book to go back to, to escape somewhere in this fiction, and I just happened to read this section of the book. The planet where the Eve character lives is called Paralandra. And on Paralandra, all the land masses move like waves. The land is constantly moving. It's constantly changing. Every day, it looks different. There's just one area on the planet that is fixed land like ours, unmoving. But they're forbidden to go there. And the character that represents Satan in the book continually is telling them, if God didn't want you to have stability, he wouldn't have created this fixed land. Surely he wants you to go there. And when the enemy's plot is revealed, the Eve-like character says this. My mind was cleared. The reason for not yet living on the fixed land is now so plain. And why should I desire the fix except to make sure to be able on one day to command where I should be the next and what should happen to me. It was to reject the wave, to draw my hands out of God's, to put it in our own power what time should roll toward us. Most of us have fallen to the temptation of the fixed land. We want to control what happens today. We want to prepare for what will happen tomorrow. So our faith becomes fixed. It becomes stagnant. It doesn't progress. Yes, we need to be responsible with the things God has given us stewardship over. I'm not talking about being unthinking with our things. Obviously, we need to be good stewards. But this temptation toward the fixed is an illusion because it doesn't matter how much security you think that you have gathered because every one of us deep down inside knows that we are only one phone call away. We're only one market crash or one fire or one action away from our lives being completely devastated. Everything, everything we think of as secure in this world is just a wave that will eventually crash on the rocks of eternity. Nothing is unchanging. Nothing is secure in this life except Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord our God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. 
God will allow our lives to become uprooted, not because he wants us to suffer, but because he's trying to move us out of a boat that's crashing into true security and faith. He will move us from the fixed land so that he can fulfill a greater promise than we can see in the here and now. To have a growing faith, we must be willing to surrender the familiar. God cannot lead us to a new life while we cling to the dead security of an old one. And when we are uprooted, God leads us to a greater promise. But that promise is almost never fully revealed or fulfilled quickly, is it? No, and that leads us to our second fill-in. My faith deepens as I learn to trust God by living in the hope of patient anticipation. Living in the hope of patient anticipation. See, we're not only expected to be uprooted, but then we have to learn how to wait patiently while we're being uprooted. What had God promised Abraham when he left Mesopotamia? It's back in Genesis 12. He promised this. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And then when he gets to Canaan, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. In all that uncertainty, Abraham worshipped. And with all of our uncertainty during this pandemic, are we focused on worship? Because what we learn from the New Testament, from Hebrews, is that while Abraham was dwelling in tents, he was not focused on what he was going to get. He wasn't even really focused on what his descendants were going to get. What we learn from the New Testament is that once he had an encounter with the Lord, he becomes focused on the ultimate promise. Not the immediate promise, the ultimate promise. Hebrews 11, verse 10. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. We're going to come back to that city in a moment. But what we know from this, and we may not know how much, but the Lord clearly revealed glimmers of Christ's plan of salvation to Abraham. Abraham saw the salvation plan. He saw the reign of Christ in eternity. In fact, Jesus himself said, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and he was glad. Abraham wasn't focused on his own life. And the more you trust God with the things you don't know about your life, the more he will reveal to you about himself. 
Abraham saw the coming of Christ, and he saw the coming of eternity because he surrendered his today. Abraham wasn't looking forward to the first city God might let him build. He was looking forward to the one he knew God would build, the final city. Think about this. Abraham was looking to the new Jerusalem before the first one was built. Remember, God promised to bless the whole world through the promises that he made to Abraham. And Abraham didn't know how those promises were going to be fulfilled, but that was okay because he understood that whatever God did in his life, whatever gifts God gave him, was moving toward God's greater promise to humanity. Do we live to serve the final promise? Or are we just looking to get our piece of it? Abraham's focus was on the final promise. And that's what allowed him to live a transient life of patient anticipation. Which it turns out, he was going to need. Yes, some of you know. We are going to uh, skip, we're in verse 10, we're going to skip uh, a couple verses down to 13. Uh, We're going to skip those verses on Sarah for right now because, well, she's a hot mess. We're going to give her her own, she's going to have her own week. Why was it so important for Abraham to live in patient anticipation? Because verse 13, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. And obviously people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. But if they had longed for a country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And I don't know about you, but that last sentence makes me shudder a little bit. Because for it to say that God is not ashamed to be their God, it must mean that the opposite is possible. Right? We have got to grab a hold of and be careful how we represent Christ in this broken world. Because we carry the name of God in every action we take, every word that we speak, every opinion that we post. Abraham could live in tents. He could be a nomad. He could die knowing that he was still going to get the promise that God had given him, even though the only land he ever owned was the land he had to bury his wife. But he still died knowing that promise would be fulfilled because he knew he was journeying towards something greater. And he knew it wasn't here on earth. And because Abraham was looking through his circumstances into eternity, he could be content in the storms of an uncertain life. Are you content in uncertainty? 
Last week, a good friend of mine, he sent me a text, and he sincerely asked, what does true belief feel like? And I think true belief feels like peace in a storm. It's the assurance that whatever happens in this moment, it can't shake the ultimate promise of Christ. And that doesn't mean we don't grieve, but it does mean that we can grieve with hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It doesn't mean that we don't face struggles, but it does mean that we can have peace in those struggles. John 16.33. I get... I get too focused on the conflicts of today when I should be focused on the peace of eternity because that would give me peace now. The text said they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. See, we're nomads here on earth too. We're called to be citizens of the kingdom of God and only ambassadors to a broken world. But we too often take root in the brokenness. We take root in this world. And that's where our conflict of faith happens. See, we want to belong to the here and now when we're called to belong to the kingdom of eternity. And eternity doesn't start when you die. It's here. It's now. And you might say, Josh, but what about when the here and now seems so awful that I can't see the kingdom in it? Well, now we come to it. The greatest test of Abraham's faith. And yes, God does test our faith. That's another whole sermon. But I'll say this. When the enemy tempts you, It's designed to make you fall away from your faith. When God tests your faith, it's designed to draw you closer to him and reveal his grace. Abraham and Sarah see a miracle in the birth of Isaac. It's a miracle. And God made it clear that he was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham through the descendants of Isaac. It was very specific. But before Isaac gets married or can have any children, this happens. Genesis 22, God says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, the one who you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'm going to show you. Can you even imagine that? Yet in the morning, Abraham obeys. He chops the firewood for the sacrifice. He loads the donkeys, and he sets out to Moriah with Isaac and with a couple of servants. And when they get there, Abraham climbs the mountain. And he binds his son and puts him on the altar. And he raises a knife over his boy. 
But the angel of the Lord intercedes and says, don't touch him. Do not harm the boy. Because the passage says the Lord himself will provide a lamb for the offering. And make no mistake, God never had any intention of any harm coming to Isaac. I like the way David Jeremiah put it. He says God wasn't after Isaac, he was after Abraham. We read this story and we think, could anything be more horrific? What must Abraham have experienced? What must he have felt? What must he have been thinking as he loaded up that donkey, as he traveled all that way, as he climbed the mountain and bound his son and lifted that knife? Genesis doesn't tell us, but Hebrews does. Verse 17. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense... Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And it's important to understand that when this story took place, when this true story took place, there had never been a record of anyone ever being raised from the dead. Abraham's faith discovered that resurrection was possible because he knew the promises of God are unbreakable. The truth of God's promise was so deeply embedded in Abraham that he knew the sacrifice couldn't be per permanent. My faith deepens as I learn to trust God by living in the truth of God's promises. Living in the truth of God's promises even when those promises seem impossible. See, to Abraham, the promises of God were more real to him than the pain in his circumstances. Do we believe the promises of God with that kind of depth? How many of us believe the promise that Christ is returning? As I think about that, we say that we believe Christ is returning. But most of the time we live our lives and our days as if he's not. And I know this is a hard truth. I'm talking more to me than I am to you. But if we were really living in the truth of Christ's promise, if we were really living in the truth of his promise to return, Christians wouldn't be arguing over whether or not we're supposed to wear masks. We wouldn't tear one another down on social media. We would give away more than we keep. We'd focus on the struggles of others. We'd pray for our country instead of complaining about it. And we wouldn't watch full seasons of television shows on Netflix in one weekend. 
If we lived with a focus on the same promise Abraham focused on, we would be completely engaged in the eternal work of the kingdom, disregarding our own wants and our own desires because every desire that puts our wants over someone else's is unbiblical. But please hear me. I am not here to beat you up. I'm not here to beat us up. I'm asking as a community for us to move the needle. We can start to look toward the eternal city and the king who will rule from that city. It's possible. We can see a glimmer of what God showed Abraham because Abraham is not the only person that God showed that city to. He showed it to John. John was given a glimpse of that same city and that same Savior. And he said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of the heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and he will be, there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain all of these things are gone forever. That's what we're journeying to. And that promise is only possible because while God spared Abraham's son, he didn't spare his own. And when the time comes for our judgment, when we stand before that throne, we're going to hear the Lord say, don't harm him. I, the Lord, have provided a lamb for the sacrifice. Can we learn to focus on that? That promise of that city in Revelation, that's our memory verse this week, and I want to encourage you, spend time with it, meditate on it, because if we can keep our focus on that, if we're looking to that promise and that city and that king, God will refine our faith to endure every hardship that comes. And if you need help seeing that, if you need help reaching for that, we want to be an encouragement to you. If you're in our online campus, you can click the care and support pop-up that's about to pop up in your chat. Or you can just type that you want to talk to someone and one of our pastors will have a private chat with you. If you're here on site with me, there's care volunteers and pastors outside when you leave and they would love to talk to you when you leave. And as we close in prayer, I also, I want to thank you for your continued giving through this pandemic. It has been incredible, and it makes a big difference in God's work in the community and to our partners around the world.
as always, our offering baskets are out in the hallway, and you can click the Give button online. But the important thing I want us to grasp today is that we shouldn't be afraid to be uprooted. The Lord says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let's continue to encourage one another and journey together looking to that great city. We can make a difference in this community. We can make a difference in this world, in this country, if we are willing to focus on God's ultimate promise. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you provide a lamb for the sacrifice. We thank you that you are a God of hope. I pray that we as individuals and as a community would be focused on the final promise, the ultimate promise, so that we can be a reflection of you to a broken world. Be with us today. Don't, don't let the enemy steal what you are saying to us today. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 so that you can get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. We are so thankful that you listened today and we pray you have a great week.